Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is that legendary day, March the 12th. 2021, a year since there was blood in the streets and everyone was panicking. They thought the world was going to end. But guess what? We had a strong hand, long-term thinking. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Be a unique beast. Defiance over compliance. That was what this year has been about for me. Offended by selling. We will talk about that. Best guests in the space are here today. Al's lacrosse has returned. So has Anders. And Chris Black is even back in the house. All right. So, dudes, March the 12th of last year. You probably all remember it. The price of Bitcoin got into like the 3000 like below 4000 for a little bit. Um, the, the days leading up to it, everyone, people were panicking. They declared a pandemic. The who, not Roger Daltrey and not freaking, uh, and, and not Pete Townsend, but the China who, said it was a, a a pandemic in the world okay and everyone people were selling people were getting liquidated and the world was on fire apparently but no oh no 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 with me i bought two freaking bitcoin for ten thousand dollars total all right and there were plenty of people that had a calm mind and were rational and look how it has paid off a year later look look well, let me let me read this before we get into this this week last year, Bitcoin suffered its second largest daily drawdown in price history, down nearly 40% in a single day. Today, it is comfortably trading above $50,000. Someone else said March 12th was a glorious day for 20 percenters with strong hands. One year ago today, while the world was panicking, we had conviction and seeked safety in SATs. Now, I wasn't looking for safety. I was just, I, I knew right then and there, this is an anomaly. What is going on? The world will continue. Doomers are going crazy. This is a this is the golden age we're in. This too shall pass. And it depends what your mentality is here, what your mindset is. For some people, it hasn't passed. They've been in a panic prison. They haven't been they haven't been productive at all in the last year. But here in the Bitcoin realm, oh my. So I want to start it off with Chris because. As a lot of you know, Chris, he's got Bitcoin, he's got Ethereum, he's got whatever, but he talks about DeFi, he talks about everything. He doesn't care about the Bitcoin Inquisition. And for me, for me, I, I have anybody on this show if they're rational people, all right? And this dude, so we might not agree on everything about Ethereum and everything, but this dude right now, I know he is not compliant. He is defiant. So Chris, what has this year been like for you? Uh, and, and just... Let me talk about what was going on a year ago. It's funny when you're talking about it because what I was just thinking was it, you said Bitcoin dropped down into the 3000s, right? Yeah. And uh, what was it a year or two before that? Sorry, Way below was- that, right? So like for people who are holding as long as you, uh, 3000 was like, Puh. you know, for people who bought in 2018, it's like as, as if we were to dip down to 30 now, right? It's like it's all relative, you know? Yes. And so what that did for me was it made me realize it's not about the and I've always thought this, it's not about the the peaks. It doesn't matter how high the price goes. It only matters how low the price goes each time. Because 
that is what is represented here. The, the, the low of 3,000 back then represented an increase in the amount of people that were going to hold uh, until the end, right? Because before that, if that happened two years prior, it might have gone down to 1,000 or 800 or something like that. So that was my take on it. And, and by the way, Ethereum too, I was just looking back at a video I did uh, on that day around then dropped down about a hundred bucks. So again, you know, it's, it shows that um, the dips are going to happen no matter what, you know, and I'm expecting another one in the near future. And then that, well, I mean, but this was a very unnatural one caused by current events uh, and the weak hands that was weak hands were flushed out on that day. There is no doubt about it. Many of weak people who were over leveraged, people that were in other financial situations that needed money immediately. Um, it, it, it was it was a wild day. Now I I have you know who knows what current events can uh, it, life is but but what has life been like since then for you? I mean what is what I mean what has been the most shocking thing since then uh, for you? Should you in in overall life and maybe in cryptocurrency. Uh, for me, um, <clears throat> I was living in New Jersey. Uh, you know, stuff started to happen with, uh, you know, the virus. Um, by summer, I was fed up just with the way it was being handled in that region. Um, rent prices were, were dropping, but I was locked into a lease, which I was able to get out of, you know, and uh, just went on the road, my wife and I. We've been nomads since then. You know, it's it's living... Uh, living freely, and uh, you know, sometimes we joke that we're we're on the run or something like that, but we're not. We're just we're just ignoring what we're being told uh, that's illogical and irre not reasonable, and and it doesn't make sense. We're accepting the stuff that makes sense. We are following the science that is real, you know. And uh, we've been gathering with family. We've had no problems, and we've had no no situations that we haven't been able to handle so all right I, and new jersey was one of the worst states in, in terms of the the lockdowns and everything and the insanity from the governor uh and, and people this he's the very definition of being in motion if you're down because where you are get out leave get the heck out there are people who did that now what we've been shown on tv is the complete opposite people who have not left their houses for for but there are people out there, and many of them are in this space. Now, one thing for me that's been disappointing is that over the last year, especially at the beginning, I was shocked by some people who, who were, you know, into decentralized cryptocurrency and, and being rebels and everything, just completely being compliant with the government. I, I mean, that, that was very shocking to me. But I'm happy to see the defiance from you, and uh, we'll, we'll move on to Al's lacrosse. H how's this year been for you, and how do you remember this day? Um, overall, it's been pretty good. Um, I got to say my experience with Bitcoiners in general is, um, you know, there, there's that idea of you can do the time or you can let the time do you. Um, I have used this to get healthier, um, been working out more, eating better, um, learning things. And it's such a stark contrast to people who really, there are people who embrace lockdown culture and I don't understand it. Uh, you know, there's people you haven't seen in a long time and then you do a Zoom call and they look like crap. Uh, they look like they haven't taken a shower in a week and all this kind of stuff where it's like, what is what does any of this have to do with the lock? It's like they're just embracing making it worse because there's um, it's almost a primitive or, or, or a medieval way of, um, you know, if I can if I can abuse myself, I am atoning to the gods and I'll be protected. 
Um, it's, it's very silly. It seems like the pain is kind of the point. Um, if you're not, if you're not in a vulnerable group, you know, live life. Why not? Um, as someone who had it myself, I can tell you for me, it wasn't very bad, but I'm, you know, relatively young, healthy, whatever. Um, I, I've been, I've been loving life for the most part, met a lot of Bitcoiners, hung out with a lot of them. Um, little jurisdictional arbitrage, as we were talking about earlier, um, moved, moved areas. I actually am originally from the New Jersey area. So, uh, so I got a lot of family back there. I was there maybe a week before lockdown kicked in. Um, glad I was not there, you know, when it happened. Um, but I moved to Texas uh, a few months ago because I like the attitude better here. Um, I think people are getting back to life. They're, they're embracing life. Um, and, you know, like I said, if you're not in a vulnerable group, why are you hiding? What are you hiding from in, in your house? You know, just wishing if you can if you can make things a little worse for yourself that we've appeased some kind of God. Um, I I like being a Bitcoiner. I like hanging out with Bitcoiners. Um, I live my life. So that's how it's been for me. Now, I want to say uh, Schumer in the Senate. I don't usually talk about these sociopaths. He's screaming to the top. Help is on the way. Help is in the Bitcoin land. We don't need help. We freaking help ourselves, okay? Personal responsibility is a new counterculture. That is what has happened for me this last year. I've seen so many people just become uh, just more dependent and just going to authority. And for me, that's what Bitcoin is not. It's being independent, you know, being your own boss, controlling your own private key. So I, I, I don't know. I, I've seen so much happen. Progress in the Bitcoin realm. In the Bitcoin overlay, I think a lot of people have, have just uh, become better people. But in the regular world, I it, it's sad. It, it's it's really sad what's happened. And it just, again, it all goes back to that that one day, March the 12th. I mean, um, you know, some people, that was, they turned it off that day. But some of us, we freaking turned it on that day. Now, baby, let's, let's, uh, let's talk to Anders. What, what's been up with you this last year? How do you remember that day? And uh, what's the financial situation since then? Um, well, first, how do I remember that day? Um, I, um, uh, I, I remember, yeah, the price actually dropped, I believe, 50% in eight hours. I was watching it. Um, it was pretty exciting. And um, I was scrambling on some different websites of, uh, of buying. But my, my, my problem was that these websites were really, really busy. Um, but yeah, I managed, I managed to buy the dip. I think I got the cheapest was around... 49 or 5,000. Um, if, if, if you want to, you know, make money or basically increase your purchasing power, uh, when it comes to Bitcoin, you buy the dip, uh, you don't panic sell the dip. Um, so, so that's what I was doing. So how has the year been for me financially? Um, it's been phenomenal. I, 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 I gotta tell you, it's, um, it's been, um, it's been the, the best financial year for me the last 12 months, uh, way above what I could possibly ex expect. Um, it, and um, so, yeah, and on top of that, uh, Bitcoin has gone up uh, about 1,400% since um, it reached the bottom uh, one year ago. Unfortunately, so yeah, you know, that, that's all been great. Unfortunately, I was meant to be in, um, I was meant to travel to Denmark exactly the 12th of March. You know, and, and these guys, they canceled my flight like 24 hours uh, before. 
so so that was annoying um, because it was the first time for quite a while I was going back home to see my friends and family. And and here we are, right? I still haven't been back, but um, I'm I'm going soon. But I, you know, it's um, socially it's annoying because especially here in, in Los Angeles, California, uh, it's very uh, left leaning, uh, left leaning. And and what what happens? Um, like I think um, the whole idea of kinesiism and central banks is is keep teaching people that. Go, if we have a problem, government should step in, you know, what stimulate or whatever. And it's kind of, it's spread like a plague, uh, worse than COVID, through uh, the mentality of society where if we have any issues, uh, government should take care of it. Uh, that, that stems, in my opinion, from this whole Keynesian idea of if the economy is not doing well, the government should step in and, and help us by stimulating, which, which, is, um, which is terrible. But the fact that it's been doing so for a long time kind of makes it necessary. But uh, I, I, I look forward to see that when Bitcoin takes over as money of the world this decade and, uh, and the, the dirty fiat dollar is going to die. I know we don't completely agree on that, Adam, but that's OK. Bitcoin doesn't care what you think or what I think, you know, but um, it, it's going to bring about a renaissance in, in culture and humanity. And we will once again prosper. Uh, shout out to Jeff Booth and the price of tomorrow. That book also, he explains, um, you know, how deflation is so beneficiary for us and will create a future of uh, abundance. And uh, and I think we will see that once again, uh, instead of most people having the mentality of relying on state uh, to take care of us, then uh, we will see uh, sovereign uh, individual, sovereign thinking that we learn to take care of ourselves. I, I think we will see that, uh, you know, come out again. And uh, we take care of ourselves, our friends and our family. We help each other. It's not it's not the state's, you know, um, responsibility. And, and they can do a good job. There's, you know, it, it, you can't do something good centralized. Decision making is best done decentral. And we need to um, be having sovereign uh, wealth, have savings that increase in value so we can help ourselves and our friends and loved ones. Uh, I, I love it how you uh, you, you bring up uh, the the tying it all together there in a very nice way. Uh, the traditional way of thinking versus the, the Bitcoin way of thinking. Pound that freaking like button. Best guest in the space. Hello, my elite friends. I forgot to say that. And I want to say somebody over in the chat, Stephen Stephen Reese said, yes, guys, I've learned a lot from this quote unquote fear last year. And now I'm not only stronger, I am very confident now. Yeah, that, that is really freaking awesome. Because I, I, I just, um, what was I going to say about uh, be, be, being a, you, you're definitely a unique beast there. Uh, uh, the true unique beast out there, if you need a mentor, let me tell you this. I've said this before. And uh, you look for someone who says this last year has been awesome. Because that is a very positive person. Anders just said that. For me, this, this last year has been freaking awesome. What an ex It's been a crazy adventure financially. I mean, I mean, I value my wealth in Bitcoin. Bitcoin uh, was it's it, it started, you know, around the ten thousands, five thousands, whatever it was at the beginning. Now it's in the fifty thousands. Oh my lord! It's like it's, it's a freaking dream come true. It is amazing, and it's just that's the mindset you need there: exponential mindset, um, positive mindset. Brian Jackado says dips like the uh, crash of a year ago are Bitcoin time machines giving. Uh, you the opportunity to buy Bitcoin at the prices for the past. That's a good the, uh, that. that that crash re revisited prices 
to levels from a full year year prior. Yeah, but basically for a few seconds um, on on March the twelfth of last year, the price got into you know late twenty eighteen, early twenty nineteen round. But it wasn't it wasn't for very long. I mean, um, it, it, it stuck around five thousand or six thousand for a little bit there. We got that discount, but that soon went away also. All right, let us go to the next. Uh, the next topic, I know. Do, do any of you else that want to say anything about that day? Any you I, guys? I have one little one little point to add. Um, for me, I thought it was a pretty easy day to deal with. I think part of it is I, I've been accused in the past of maybe having a hard time accessing my emotions, so that helps. But um, I, I'm thinking of if you've ever seen uh, Band of Brothers, there's a character in there, Lieutenant Spears, who there's an episode where he just does incredibly brave things, just runs through lines of Nazi machine gun fire and. You know, eventually some of his troops asked him, like, how, you know, how do you do that? Like, how did you, how do you just put that aside? And he said, uh, we're already dead. We're, we're here. We're already dead until the war is over and we go home. You just got to think you're already dead because you can't live every day worrying about it. And I think there's a, there's a, a reverse kind of positive as Bitcoiners. I think we can look at it as we've already won. We know how this is going to turn out. There's going to be some ups and downs until then. There's going to be bumps in the road, but we know how this game ends. So just think of it that way. We already know what the finish line is on this. We've already won. It's just a matter of getting there now. Awesome, awesome mindset there. Uh, I, I gotta say, yeah, on that day, there was no fear at all. I wanted to give out the positive Meister energy. I tweeted out the 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 the, the, the buys that I made and everything. And uh, yeah, it's I have sweet memories because I knew everything was all right. I it was just an anomaly. And we look back now and we laugh and we smile. And it's uh, it's great. It's great to be living in the future. Imagine how positive, uh, uh, you know, four years from now, we're, we're going to be having bigger smiles on our face. All right. So let's get into current events right now. Uh, what I see going on here. Uh, one big thing, Bitcoin lending firms see explosive growth and surging demand. Now, all of you know, I'm all about controlling the private key. I'm not giving my Bitcoin up to anyone, but there are a lot of people out there and it's a big growing trend. Oh, I'm giving my Bitcoin up to BlockFi. They're going to give me 8.6% interest and everything's cool. Now, sure, everything might be cool. But again, there is there's if something went wrong, that's the end of your Bitcoin. There's no Fed to bail you out. There's no. And so there were rumors earlier this week that uh, about BlockFi, okay? And I have linked to them again below. You can read all the stuff. And it might have been by a competitor of theirs, okay? Um, the, the, bottom, the bottom line is this. They got a huge um, $350 million they raised in Series D funding. So they got the money now. I mean, there's no doubt about it. They have a bunch of money. And so they're not – they're going to be able to pay their interest. I personally do not think this is sustainable to keep on paying 8.6% interest or whatever they pay. All right. But I want to get to the bigger, the bigger picture here. All right. This is clearly something that is growing people. It says BlockFi, Celsius network and Nexo have hit milestones in assets under management as the Bitcoin lending sector takes off. All right. Combined, they now, now hold $30 billion in assets under management. So I, again, I think people should just control their own private key forks and freaking um, airdrops, which are crypto dividends. They all come out. We can control our own private key, get these altcoins, turn them into 
for free when they come out, be patient and turn them into more Bitcoin. All right. That's my interest. OK, that's me never giving up my Bitcoin. And I get these freakazoid uh, unfriendly forks and friendly forks, whatever. They're going to keep on happening in the future. You just got to be patient. But there are people that the way they they want, they want to be like the traditional world where you could get interest on your deposits, et cetera, et cetera. You let third parties hold your freaking Bitcoin. So and and, they, and obviously there are many wealthy entities out there that are willing to fund this. If BlockFi was able to to raise three hundred fifty million dollars uh, uh, just like that. OK, so um, it, uh, the, uh, before I ask Chris here about what he thinks about BlockFi and which is central, it is a centralized form of uh, a finance, no doubt about it. He knows about DeFi. And he, you know, critiques DeFi. I do want to say this to people, all right? You, BlockFi, they may re they may remain solvent forever and ever. And I hope that they do. I hope they can pull it off. But let me just tell you, just a reminder: if they have your Bitcoin, and the government comes to them and says, "Hey, you know what? Uh, Adam Meister here, he's got an account here. He was in Washington D.C. on January sixth, and we and we don't like that anymore." We need you to give us his Bitcoin because he was obviously using his Bitcoin for bad stuff that day. There you go. That's why you control your freaking private key. Chris, take it away. What do you think about the growth of centralized finance in this space and, and the, 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 the these dudes, the BlockFi's of the world and, and, and DeFi? Where are we going here? Well, like you said before, there's a lot of people in the space with a lot of different motivations and – over time and in the future, there's just going to be more and more people that come into the space that don't share the same set of principles that a lot of us do, right? So we obviously don't want to tell them, don't enter this space if you don't respect trustlessness and self-sovereignty and things like that. Uh, but them coming in and you know, feeling like, okay, even if they understand the risks of something like BlockFi, which is essentially, you know, like you said, a bank, or it's like holding your your Bitcoin as basically uh, in a safe deposit box, right? It's in, inside a banking institution. Um, they're going to do it anyway, because if the government comes along and says, you know what, Bitcoin is bad, and we're going to ban it, we're going to do all these things to it, those are the people that would sell it anyway. So they are not in the same sort of philosophical group as a lot of us are where we're thinking Bitcoin to the end, no matter what, you know, so that's the way I look at that. And I also look at DeFi the same way. And DeFi is even more interesting to me. A, a lot of people believe that um, if you're able to tokenize your Bitcoin, that you're, that you're um, able to earn interest on it in a decentralized way, because you still have some kind of a, of a key to it. And that's really completely untrue. Every solution that's on Ethereum right now still requires trust. And most of them still have some kind of custody over your Bitcoin. So, um, you know, you look at BlockFi, you look at the, the Bitcoin solutions that are on DeFi right now, and they're just different kinds of centralization. There's no real decentralized way. And even if you look at other options like RSK and other ways that you could potentially move your Bitcoin around, there is no trustless way uh, to earn interest on your Bitcoin. People can say, you know, the, the 
what coin join and lightning and stuff like that. And this is minuscule. Like you're not going to earn 10, 20% using those means. So anytime you're earning interest on your Bitcoin, you're probably sacrificing decentralization and trustlessness and other things that you might not care about. If you don't care about it, go for it. You know, take on the risk. But if you do care about it, you got to think twice. And uh, that goes for both DeFi and CeFi. All right. So where, where do you, is, is the space going to become more DeFi or is it going to become more traditional, traditional finance CeFi? I really, uh, I think the CeFi industry is so gigantic right now that they can easily transition it, it over here and, and be, and be huge. And, They'll win. Uh, They'll and win. CeFi is easier. And also it's, it's clear that the BlockFi is trying to be the Coinbase of, uh, of finance in, in, in cryptocurrency. I mean, they are going, yeah. their advertisements are everywhere. And uh, well, what's your take? Centralization, uh, centralized at anything, technology or finance or whatever, is always more efficient, more user-friendly, cheaper, easier to use, always, 100% of the time. Decentralization is messy. It's inefficient. It's expensive. It's, it takes up a lot of resources, uh, but it's a trade-off. You lose those things and you gain unconfiscatable money. You gain everything that Bitcoin gives us, but most of the world always will gravitate to the easier, cheaper, faster solution. So 100%, I'm 100% sure that centralized finance is always going to win out over any really trustless solution because it's always going to be easier and faster and cheaper. And when I say centralized finance, I'm including almost all of today's DeFi on Ethereum. Almost all of today's DeFi is centralized. And there are startup companies that have control over these protocols. You know, so to call them decentralized, it's a misnomer. I'm grouping them in with the um, BlockFi's of the world and the other companies that are you know, there's different ways of looking at the custody, but at the end of the day, you still have the same risks that are regulatory. You still have the same risks that come along with um, negligence, with skill, with inside jobs, you know, with, you know, there's even arguments that could be made that companies like BlockFi are safer than a lot of the DeFi projects because they go undergo more scrutiny from regulators than something like Compound or, uh, you know, other, other products where you might deposit your DeFi funds. All right. It, to me, it boils down to like a trust us versus no trust us situation. The, the key word being trust, you want to trust your freaking self. So, I mean, again, I, I, I see why people want to gamble, but I, I, I linked to a Reddit uh, post below that, that actually was talking about the BlockFi, the rumors about BlockFi. And there are dudes in there that are like, I'm worried. I have a substantial amount of my savings at BlockFi. Now, Dudes, I mean, there are people like of your life savings you put in Bitcoin at a third party. I mean, we we've already progressed to this level of, of <laughs> I, I, it, it's unbelievable to me. But I guess people are used to that anyway. They were used to you know investing in stocks a substantial amount of their money. So having a substantial amount of your wealth in third parties is just I guess the way people default to. I, I don't see why you would still do that in, in cryptocurrency though when you have something like Bitcoin to hold. Anyway, um, I, I want to move to uh, Al's lacrosse. What is your take on, um, I mean, 
on the growing uh, interest in companies like BlockFi. And uh, what do you think? Action bias is a pretty incredible thing um, when you think about it, because everybody wants to do something with their money. Like I should be getting some sort of yield or some sort of gain out of this. Um, and when you think about what's Bitcoin's average is 100% annual, I think. Um, 200. Growth on that, or 200 now. So if you were trading anything else and you could be guaranteed essentially let's i'll use that word loosely but 200 percent a year returns you'd think you're doing pretty pretty good right so just to sit on this for no risk that's what you're getting with bitcoin and yet you still got to do something and I, that's really that's more about mindset and emotion than actual hard math and numbers i think um stuff like blockfi you know i i don't think the risk is worth it for me personally if you're a longtime Bitcoiner who understands what you're getting into, you want to do that. It's a free country. Um, I think if somebody's new, though, the first thing you need to say to them is there is no Bitcoin FDIC. And if they say, I don't know what that means, you say, then you absolutely should not be playing this game right now. <laughs> Once you understand what that means, then we can talk about whether or not you should do that. But if you don't even know what I mean when I say that, then you don't understand the risk that you're taking. Um, the rumors last year, I think, were, you know, we talked about a year ago today, what was going on. Um, I remember hearing there were quite a few of, um, you know, from their, their lending side that people who should have been liquidated were not. And they basically just use, you know, infusions of cash from, uh, from investors to, to keep those people from, uh, from getting wiped out because that would have been, that would have been really horrible PR for them. Um, so, you know, if that's true, I think we need to think about that. That day kind of came already for them in terms of, is this possible? Could this whole thing blow up? And in the short term, yeah, they're, they're going to cover it. They're, they've got investors who are, uh, are going to cover for that, even if the math says that these, these clients or these customers should get wiped out. Um, but that's not going to go on forever. And giving someone else control of your Bitcoin is probably never a good idea. I am excited for products coming in that are you know, multi-sig shared custody. Um, where you're not really handing over control and things like what Unchained does with collateralized loans and all that. Um, stuff like that is, is interesting to me when you're not taking stupid risks. All right. Wait, you still there? Yeah. Wait. Oh, okay. Okay. Good, good, good. All right. I, sorry. I got a little confused there. All right. You, I love your point. Do people feel like they need to do something for the sake of doing something with their Bitcoin? Do nothing with your Bitcoin. Dude, I mean, that's that's what I say. But people people got to complicate matters here. Um, all right. Now it's time for Anders to talk about this. Yeah, I, I mean, for, first of all, I want to say um, Al has some great points there uh, initially with, uh, look, if you're not in a, in a, um, a dangerous, um, you know, uh, group of people in terms of the, the virus, you know, why why should you not be allowed to live your life? And, um, and also uh, the thing you just touched upon about um, uh, there is this, there is this uh, bias absolutely where people feel they need to do something to earn uh, profits or whatever. The, sometimes the hardest thing to do is do nothing, but it, it, many times it's the best thing. Um, and uh, I, I use the same in... Um, in investing, uh, which used to be, you know, include stonks, but after Bitcoin, it's it's I'm Bitcoin only. Uh, but uh, if, if you see something that has a long term, uh, great perspective, 
you shouldn't be day trading in and out. You just hold that position, make it easy for yourself. It's hard, but it's the best thing you can do. Um, and um, uh, so, yeah, you asked me about uh, BlockFi, right? Yes. Uh, so I, I totally agree that if if um, if Bitcoin is doing 100 or 200 uh, percent yearly return, why why are you scrambling or, and, and taking a risk by by wanting to get six percent more or whatever, um, which is what you can get on your Bitcoin there? But what I will say is go listen to Preston Pish. He did a recent podcast with uh, Zach Prince, the CEO and founder of BlockFi, actually opened up my mind a little bit. It's not only about uh, lending Bitcoin out to short um, to short it. It's also um, you know market makers on exchanges, wh which are the ones who are putting basically uh, limit bits just above and just below the, the market price. Uh, they have an important role in the economy of Bitcoin, and it's very profitable what they're doing. So they're willing to pay twenty percent to block fight for boring and, and there's a real use case. So the way I look at it, yeah, it's, um, you, you should never have, I mean, not having anything there, I get it, keep it all like self-sovereign, wonderful, right? But there is a, the role of banking in, in, um, in society is lending money through a centralized party from, from people who have some cash, some money that they're not using currently and allowing that to be available to entrepreneurs and people putting together businesses to create value in society. So the, the role of banking in itself is a, is a net positive, the way I look at it in, um, in, the, uh, in, in, in society and in the economy. But uh, yeah, there's no insurance, uh, you're running a risk. And um, I, I heard someone saying that, you know, it can, you know, he, he would like to get the, an interest on his, um, you know, uh, some of his Bitcoin and, and then like maybe somewhere between 10 to 20 percent would be something you could um, lend out to, for instance, BlockFi. Um, I, I, th I think that's not, you know, too bad. Um, uh, I, I, but again, you just need to know you're running a risk and it's not necessary because Bitcoin in itself is deflationary. Prices of everything goes down measured in Bitcoin because it's hard cap. So you don't need to do it. But if you put 10% somewhere where you can get an interest, I mean, I, I get it. Um, and, I, you know, we, it, us, us toximalists are very, we have very strong opinions. Like you're not allowed to, um, you know, uh, uh, trade. You're not allowed to uh, hand over your Bitcoin and everything. Uh, but let's also remember that more people have lost their Bitcoin because they couldn't do the self-custody. Uh, they messed it up. Then has been hacked on exchanges. Uh, so I'm not saying put, go put your Bitcoin on exchanges. I'm just saying, um, yeah, you know, if you put 10% on BlockFi, uh, you know, I get it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see where the people are coming from. They're coming from traditional uh, financial models here. I'm, of course, offended by selling. I'm offended by shorting. Man, well, people, shorting is part of the thing, and a lot of it, uh, they, they, their business does not rely on shorting per se. But once you give up your Bitcoin, you kind of are shorting Bitcoin there, uh, even if you're going to get it back eventually. It's, it's some of it is going to be loaned out to someone to short. All right, but and and then some of those people are going to complain about shorting. Don't complain about shorting if you're helping finance shorting, all right? But some people don't get that. Whatever. Um, you talk about the Preston interview. I don't link to that one before below, but I do link to Zach Prince being interviewed uh, just the other day by Nick Carter, okay? And that's pretty good. 
that gives their side of the story what's going up there. Zach Prince is a smart guy. He's good at it, calming everyone down, explaining the situation. Clearly, they've there's a lot of they generated an incredible amount of revenue. We don't know about the, the profit, whatever. That's fine. They keep on getting funded. Uh, it it uh, the, what I wanted to share here. They he he mentions uh, he calls it a hybrid brokerage banking model. Okay, that's clearly what it is. And they right now they were prioritizing growth over day to day margin. So they're trying to dominate. They're just trying to grow. I don't think they're concerned about profit anymore. I don't see how they can keep up the 8.6% or the 6%. What, what magical formulas they have going on behind the scenes, if there are some. Um, I, I don't think it's bad if they, uh, you know, if you only make 5% on it. Um, we'll, we'll see how that progresses. It will be interesting to keep an eye on them. I, of course, have no desire to give them my, my Bitcoin but it's here to stay. It, it is definitely here to stay. And I guess, uh, you know, it's it's the space is, quote unquote, healthier if we have these type of finance financialization uh, come here. But you, you don't it's it's an opt in thing. You guys don't have to deal with it. You can hate on it, but you don't have to be part of it. Strong hand. Pound that like button. All right. Does anyone else have anything to say about uh uh, DeFi, yeah. finance. Maestro, yes. just, just one more thing. You know, if, if there's anything I learned over the past year, it's that you cannot protect people from themselves, right? Yeah. And I think that applies to, to this too, to Bitcoin. You can't protect people from themselves when it comes to their own fears, their own irrational thoughts and things like that. The best we can do is educate them. And I will... You know, I will never tell somebody you're doing the wrong thing with your Bitcoin if you truly understand what you're doing. You know, so if they have the education, they, they know what they're getting into. Take any risk you want. And that applies to things like DeFi, too. As long as you know what you're doing, go for it. Everybody's got a different risk tolerance. Some people want to trade. Some people want to earn interest on a custodial third party. Uh, some people want to go into DeFi. Fine. You know, do whatever you want as long as you understand uh, what you're doing. And a lot of people don't understand what they're doing. And that's why, you know, they're watching guys like you um, and, and learning about it. Cause a lot of people watching this probably don't fully understand what BlockFi does, but once you understand it, if you still want to do it, go, go for it. That's the beauty of Bitcoin. You can do whatever you want with it. You can hold it for life. You can throw it on a third party. You can do whatever you want. You're a free person and it's free money. So go for it. Just understand first and learn. Yes. And I will say there are plenty, when I read these Reddit threads, there, there are quite a few people that, that, that do not understand that they, they could lose it all. I mean, it's like, you, you, there's no guarantee. There's no FDIC insurance. There are people that, that don't get that, but uh, ho hopefully people are learning. Well, if, if I got, uh, Chris, I got you here. Let me, let me ask you about, uh, there are tremendous headlines out there. I was even just contacted by a guy I went to college with. Uh, in, in, in the title, it mentioned NFT. I couldn't believe it. There's headlines, $69 million paid for an NFT. There's a, I think, and I linked to the stories below, some other guy who paid a little bit and now his NFTs are worth $20 million or something like that. Really attention-grabbing headlines. Stuff trend, trending on Twitter that's dealing with NFTs. So <laughs> it reminds me of ICOs, obviously, in, uh, in 2017. My take is... Oh, my Lord, who would pay that much money for a piece of uh, art on um, you know, $69 million, whatever it is? I can see how this could be the future of, of like baseball cards, maybe, or something like that. Um, but 
wow, it, it, it's the very definition of unsustainable for me. Uh, Chris, what, what is your take? Well, first of all, um, the, the most important thing to understand about this is that an NFT cannot actually contain the art. And an NFT cannot actually contain itself the baseball card. Okay. The way it's working right now, an NFT is a non-fungible token, which means it's a token that can exist on Ethereum, just like any token, except it's unique. It has a unique fingerprint, a unique identifier that makes it one of a kind cryptographically. Okay. So, and then somebody has the private key to that one token. It sits in their wallet and they own it. They can own that cryptographic token. The way that this is all working right now is the cryptographic token is being sold and being claimed to own a JPEG or a um, audio file or something like that that sits actually usually on a on a centralized server on a third party server like OpenSea or Rarible or Mintable or the, there's these companies now that are um, sort of facilitating this process. So the NFT itself is just a token, invisible, living on the blockchain. Um, the the thing that's being sold is is an actual JPEG or a, a, a AVI file or an MP3 file or something like that. So the biggest confusion that people believe is that the art is actually secured on the chain, and it's not. So. Um, you know, my, my, my biggest skepticism around this whole thing is that, for instance, the one that sold for $69 million, it is a graphics file. It's a, it's a work of art. I don't discount the fact that it's art. Okay. The artist created it, um, but it's a JPEG on a website. Anybody can copy it. Anybody can download it. Okay. One person has the NFT, but what, what NFT supporters are asking us to do right now is add a layer of abstraction between the token on the blockchain and this work of art that exists. You know, it's embodied in this JPEG, but they're saying it's bigger than that. It's not just the JPEG, it's the actual idea of the art. Uh, so they're asking us to create this abstract bridge between the two. And I personally don't think that that's, I think that's, that's kind of spitting in the face of what open blockchain is all about. The whole idea of what we're doing here is, is cryptogra cryptographic proof that you actually own something, right? You can own that token, but you cannot own a JPEG because anybody can copy it, anybody can paste it, anybody can save it, anybody can do anything they want with it. Now, if they were selling a painting, you know, that somebody actually, you know, Picasso painting, there's ways to know whether or not you have a forgery or you have the original. And yeah, there's arguments about, oh, I can have a forgery that passes as the original, blah, blah, blah. Bottom line is you cannot create an exact replica like you can of a JPEG, right? So I think it's a bit of a fad right now, the NFT art thing. I think that it's overblown until they figure out how to save the art actually in the chain. But one more thing, I, with all that being said, I do think NFTs are going to change the world. Because NFTs could do a lot more than just art. An NFT could, in theory, replace your, the deed to your home. An NFT could, in theory, replace your car title. You could have, in the future, a wallet that contains a bunch of NFTs. One maybe represents your driver's license. You know, there's all sorts of things that you can do with NFTs with the power of, of 
sort of society behind you. But for now, uh, it's it's sort of being overblown, and it could end up hurting it in the long run. I want to. We'll get back to you in a second because Anders got to run. Anders, give us a quick NFT thing and and what you're up to and your your closing remarks. But we, we'll continue to show. Anders just got to get out of here. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you want my my quick uh, my my quick take on uh, NFTs? Uh, here's my take: Never underestimate the stupidity of mankind. Uh, that's how I feel about NFT. If you want it quick, um, uh, especially uh, the things we're talking about here that that Chris spoke about with the you know the artwork, etc. Look, the, the 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 genius of Satoshi Nakamoto and and Bitcoin is that he put together the technologies that made it possible to have something digital that you couldn't copy and paste. The NFT doesn't make it impossible to copy and paste a picture somewhere. Uh, you can screenshot it, you can, you know, uh, Photoshop it, whatever. So that they make absolutely uh, no sense. Um, I, I don't feel that NFT has um, either a um, justification for, say, it be, it be the deed of, of your home, because there's actually things that do work better um, offline and, and centralized. What if someone hacked your wallet and took the deed to your home are you supposed to then move out and they just take it over so i i i i don't i don't see that but definitely with their with their artwork yeah it's uh useless so if you want my yeah thank you for having me on adam and and uh really nice to hang out with you guys as well chris and and alice lacrosse um closing remarks i'm doing toxic happy hour on youtube with uh with uh with poppy pablo.hodl uh, we're having a lot of fun with that we have great guests on we've had uh, adam on and um, yeah, uh, as Adam says, keep a strong hand, buy and, and hold, accumulate for the long term. Bitcoin will reach $20 million in purchasing power this decade, I believe. Uh, so don't be a little bear. Understand that even $6,000 worth of Bitcoin today is financial freedom. That's $2 million in a world where prices, they fall. Thank you very much for having me on. Nice to hang out with you guys. And uh, everybody pound that like button and subscribe to Adam's channel. He's uh, an ambassador for the wisdom of a true Bitcoin. Dude, thank you. And uh, the show will continue. It is sad you had to leave early, but Anders always rocks it on here. And I have met this dude in person. Hope to see you again in person very soon, man. Miami. Uh, Miami, uh, June 4 5. You're going to come? Yeah, for sure. You I'll be, I will see you then. I will see you right. then. I will be there. Uh, right. it, wait, and Chris will maybe be there. Al, maybe too. Who knows? Maybe we'll I'll all be there. there dude, it's going to be the best freaking Bitcoin event ever, dude. Ever. Uh, uh, because Miami's already rocking. All right. Let's, uh, I, I do want to say, uh, we're going to, we're going to ask Al here about the NFTs, but first of all, there's a message for you. Surfer Jim says, Bitcoin Meister, great guests, great discussing, uh, discussion as usual. Thanks for all you do. Tell Al I'll see him later on Dirtbag Fridays. Oh, yeah. you got a direct. You got Surfer Jim calling you out there. That's uh, oh, yeah. that's pretty Jim, good. Jim is uh, Jim is an OG on Dirtbag Friday. He's he's the regular of regulars. Um, so yeah, we will be running that tonight and every Friday. He is a unique beast. I met him uh, a little over a year ago in Vegas before all this insanity uh, started. But uh, it's so and, funny. Like I've been hanging out with more ethereum people the past year you know trying to educate DeFi users about everything that's wrong with it and hearing you guys say we got toxic this and dirtbag that it's so 
it's so opposite of everything that's going on on Ethereum. Like, yeah. you know, over there, the conversation is we're switching the proof of stake because proof of work is so bad for the planet and we have to save Mother oh! Earth. And then you come over here and it's toxic dirtbags. It's just so funny being in the middle of it and seeing both sides of it. I just wanted to comment on it. Really? They, they're worried about that. They buy into that energy fund thing over there. I mean, oh, it, it is. I, I, don't wanna make, I don't want to make generalizations about Ethereum and Bitcoin people, but it. <laughs> I don't know. They, they seem a little bit more politically correct in the Ethereum land. I don't. I don't. I don't make generalizations here. Just All right. I've been trying. They've tried to cancel me about eighty-seven times over the past year. So yeah. I Dude, you right. you are awesome. What you are doing. I mean, you're a fan of of what's going on, but you speak the truth about it. You don't. You are a unique beast, Chris. You're you're doing awesome things out there. <laughs> check check him out. Speak the truth. All right. Let's so let's get back to this NFT thing with Al. What's what's your take? All right. So my my technical and non-technical take. So my technical take is we've been trying to do information that is not endogenous to the blockchain on the blockchain over and over and over again. It always gets a bunch of hype. It's been talked about since I started being interested in this space. And it's the same narrative, the same game over and over and over. Um, I had a little shower thought and you guys are the right demographic. You're going to you'll remember this. So do you remember uh, Adam Sandler had a skit on SNL where he was coming up with Halloween costumes and it would be, uh, he didn't have a costume. So he'd just grab whatever was on the table and you go, Oh, I'm, I'm crazy pencil nose. Now give me some candy. Or he'd take his <laughs> coffee mug. I'm coffee mug head. I'm not normal. I got a coffee mug for a head. And it was just this ridiculous thing. He would just grab whatever was on the table and just claim it was a Halloween costume. That's what we're doing still with all this blockchain eyes, everything. This is just the newest thing we're going to grab and go, oh, we're doing this on the blockchain or that on the blockchain. It's the exact same narrative we've done over and over and over again. This is just the newest iteration of it. Um, I get why there's hype on this for people who don't really understand what this all is. It sounds really great. You're going to have these people, oh, they sold this for $5 million or whatever. Six months from now, I'll say a year from now, but I really think six months from now, no one is going to give an F about NFTs anymore because you're going to get that first generation that's all hyped up about it. And they're going to realize, oh, yeah, nobody really wants this stuff. No one wants it because they want it. They want it because they think they can flip it and it's going to be worth something. And they're going to run into that and it's going to be ugly. You know, it's the real Beanie Babies right there. It's yeah. it's going to have its hype and then it's going to blow up. Yeah, it, I, I agree with that. It's all about greater full theory now. People aren't buying this stuff for the long run. They're buying it because they want to sell it to the next guy. I mean, it's, someone's going to be left holding some nasty bags with this stuff. I get, and I encourage people to keep experimenting over there and doing things like, you know, what Chris suggested. I don't know what might come out of this, but, dude, to buy this stuff is ridiculous. If you want to create this stuff, I think that's fun. Whatever, you know, you're an artist, do your thing, and maybe someone will throw you some money. But we're talking about there's like a whole company where you can uh, make – all your tweets into NFTs. I mean, it's, and people pay money for, for tweets. People pay money for Jack Dorsey. It's not really, it, it is amazing. What, we have, what does it, it even mean? You know, yeah, what's think it mean? about it on a deeper level. What, what are you even doing? Yeah. Here, here's something though, to keep in mind. Uh, I, I disagree. I don't think that this is going to go away. I think that this is an idea that's here to stay. And we, and I specifically, but you know, I don't want to generalize about, all of us, but we all run into the um, possibility of simply not being able to relate with what's going on in the world a lot of times. And we already know 
that digital purchases of collectibles are a thing. Okay, you look at you look at Fortnite, you look at um, other you know video games, you look at stuff that's going on that like I, my twelve year old nephew has spent way more money on Fortnite whatever the hell else you know you weapons i don't know what you buy in there then he has on any you know uh, cds or mp3 anything like that that they buy when i was a kid so there's definitely a movement going on towards buying non-tangible digital products that you believe are special and having unique access to them and nfts give you a way to begin to do that in a decentralized way so i don't think it's right to to believe okay this is just going to disappear i just think it's going to evolve and it needs to mature i think that it's it's a matter of time until um the you know ethereum or any blockchain is used to represent things in the real world um you know the comment was made before what happens if you lose your your nft to your house deed do you lose your house I mean, that's that's thinking of it in today's terms. If it actually became a thing where you had an NFT that represented the deed to your house, all that would do is replace the deed that currently lives in some computer in some antiquated city hall that uh, you know some bureaucrat is paid one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year to run. Okay, all of a sudden that's replaced with an NFT that is under great security, probably under some kind of multi-sig. Maybe your lawyer has a key, you have a key, your kids have a key, whatever. Uh, it wouldn't just sit in your phone for you to lose. Okay, so it's it's not replacing home security. It's not replacing anything else. It's just replacing the record keeping. And I think there's huge opportunity for that to happen over the next 10 years. I do have a quick um, question though for you, Chris, sure. if I could jump in. Um, does, does that in any way replace, you know, those disputes would still have to be adjudicated through the traditional legal system though, wouldn't they? Yes. So what yes, are, what we, would are we not, actually really accomplishing by doing that? In that particular example I just gave, you're accomplishing reducing the amount of bureaucracy. You're reducing the resources that go into record keeping. You're reducing uh, you know, having to pay that $150,000 bureaucrat who's been there for 30 years in City Hall to oversee this computer full of disorganized deeds where even five, ten percent of them might be wrong, you know. So you would eliminate all of that. You would not eliminate law. You would not eliminate the need for government. You would not eliminate any of that. It's all about efficiency and in sort of record keeping and and having the something that you know cannot be taken away from you, you know. And a lot of times with land, with homes, with there's other things too where you rely on government to tell you yes, you do own this. Okay, and it's getting rid of that idea. If you can get rid of that and you can say, I know I own this and society knows I own this because we all agree I have the only private key to this plot of land and society buys into that and government supports that and law supports that, you've eliminated a huge wasteful process and you've replaced it with a simple cryptographic key. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about replacing law in any way. All right, I, I, I see this... I I see the current craze going away and the yes. insane $69 million headlines going away. By the way, but did you see that Justin Tron, uh, Justin's son was the top bidder? Okay. And then he was outbid by a mystery uh, bidder right before it ended. But the fact that he's the one that bid it up to the $60 million tells you right there that it's hype. Yeah. It's a mar it's a marketing tool for him, I guess. I, yeah, I, di I did see that. And uh, I think it will evolve into something different that we it will be hard to describe for us now, but in the future, 
and again, let people experiment over there. But I'm just I'm telling people you don't you don't know what you're buying because if you're interested in buying it, most people don't know what they're buying. They're buying nothing. I mean, it's it's it's, it's kind of crazy. It's it's about status. It's about I mean, it is. That's why I think it could work with like maybe all baseball cards will be that way in the future. I'll be totally digital. And Chris, you make a good point that, you know, kids are used to just buying digital stuff right now. And so there, there probably is a price, but we're not, we're, we're not talking like hundreds and thousands. I mean, the money that's the, 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 the numbers that are being thrown around now are insane. It's just, it's absolutely, and, and just headline grabbing type of uh thing. So it, it, it will be interesting to keep an eye on this. It's, it's, constantly thrown in our faces because it's just that it's it's easy for the mainstream media to pick up on something like this uh it's, it's, it's big numbers but we'll see al do you have anything else to say about it um yeah i i mean i i hope that chris is right i i can see definitely the case for streamlining things um as far as record keeping and all that uh for revolutionizing things i'm i'm definitely more skeptical because i think ultimately stuff does come down to who controls the power, who controls the law. Um, the uh, the difference between that and Bitcoin is it's all endogenous to the blockchain. So what the blockchain says is all that matters. Um, but when you start to tokenize things in the real world, you can show me all the proof in the world that you own something. And if I have a bunch of guys with guns who can come and take it, no one gives, well, I shouldn't say this on the stream line, no one cares. Um, so uh, I do think we have to be a little bit careful with those narratives of what we are actually accomplishing. But I, I could see how it makes things like record keeping and bureaucracy more efficient. You'll never solve the gun problem on the blockchain, just for yeah. the record, right? You're never going to solve that problem on the blockchain. Yeah. and But I think there are people who really do believe that, that it's like, well, if we can prove on the blockchain that we own this land, then, you know, then we've solved corruption in the third world. It's like, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, until until right. the next guy shows up and says... Here's what I think of your blockchain, you know, and there we go. Right. So, but you know, Bitcoin has the same problem too. Like if you don't properly secure your Bitcoin and somebody comes with a gun, you're done. Right. So it's, it's all about securing it properly. And if we do get to the point where we're able to tokenize important um, real life things that we own and properly secure them, not just hold them in your phone wallet or something like that, we could be in the same situation where um, we're able to, go farther than we are right now with securing that stuff. You know, so somebody shows up with a gun, there's nothing I can do to provide yeah. them with what but they ultimately, want. Ultimately, I'd say the difference between Bitcoin and land in that regard is if you do take the proper security steps with Bitcoin, you know, they can kill you, but they can't take your stuff. Uh, with something like land or bars of gold, eventually, if it comes down to it, they can kill you and they can take your stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it does, if you do properly manage your keys, it disincentivizes that sort of behavior because they can do whatever they want to you. They're still not getting your stuff. So almost like uh, mining a fork that no one wants, you can spend that energy. You can spend that money trying to do this. But in the end, like you're the one who you're doing this at a loss because you're not going to get anything from it. Yep. All right. Very good points. All right. We're, we're nearing the end of the show right now. I, I want to bring up something that I noticed. Chris, you you did a uh, made a video about Uniswap, how to use it, right? Oh, I made an uh, well. I made a bunch of videos. YouTube.com slash Chris Black B L E C. Explainer. You said it was popular. I, I, I did. Um, yeah, it's a 17 part online course. Uh, that's it's for new people and experienced people to use Uniswap and learn how it works under the hood. 17 parts to explain you. That's how. Oh my lord! <laughs> I didn't know. It was that's 17. what a lot of people said, man. You know, because the whole point of it was. 
you go to Uniswap, you try, if you've ever used it, you know, it's really simple. You just enter what you want to swap and it goes through. But what most people don't know is how it works and how the swaps happen and how it interacts with the chain and what slippage is and how they can get scammed on there, how they can get front run. So it does take that much time. I could have done 50 parts probably and still not fully explained it. Um, it's a complicated thing under the hood and I wanted people to understand it so they can use it efficiently. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, I still think, uh, you know, we're going back to centralized, decentralized, whatever Uniswap claims to be decentralized in, in ways, well, I guess it is. but, 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 but Coinbase, uh, is not decentralized. Coinbase is centralized and something that just came out, you know, sent, uh, Coinbase will be going public very soon. And somebody wrote an article that said Coinbase isn't worth a hundred billion dollars even though it might be valued at that because, you know, Uniswap can do more business than them. But my take on this was that Coinbase is easy as anything. A mother can use Coinbase. Coinbase isn't trying to be Uniswap. Coinbase is just trying to be the Walmart of, uh, of buying coins. And so you, you even, I mean, you kind of proved that by diving into the complexity of uniswap right there it, it takes that many episodes well again like it's very easy to use you don't have to watch 17 parts to be able to use uniswap but once if you want to know what's actually happening which we can know we can know because it's so transparent then it does take more time now if coinbase had transparency like uniswap does that would probably take 17 days to explain everything that Coinbase is doing underneath the hood, right? But we don't know, it's a black box. So I can't create that kind of course about, about Coinbase. But to, to, you know, both of them are very easy to use on, I mean, obviously Coinbase is easier, you know, Uniswap, you have to use like MetaMask and stuff like that, yeah. but it's the transparency that allows us to actually dive in and explain it further under the hood. Okay, now with your expertise in, in Uniswap, and what you see going on over there, um, do, what do you think about Coinbase going public? Are they going to be able to generate, uh, are they going to be worth $100 billion? And what's the future of Coinbase? What's the future of Uniswap? Is one going to cancel off the others or is it just apples and oranges? It's a good question. I think Coinbase is like, you know, owns a huge chunk of the space. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. They're just going to keep growing. Um, they're regulated they're comfortable in the United States. You know, they can do what they do. They don't have to worry about um, uh, what's going to happen. They've been in Washington for a long time lobbying. So, like, they're they're cool with, like, regulations and things like that. Um, I definitely think they're going to keep growing. And, I, I mean, I hope they have a successful IPO. Like, go for it, right? Uh, Uniswap is um, definitely not going anywhere. Um, they're, they're, they're on their second version right now. Um, their third version is coming. Nobody really knows what it's going to look like yet. The way it works is they can't upgrade their product like other DeFi projects can because it is a trustless, immutable, unstoppable smart contract. Um, when they launch a new version, they have to literally launch a whole new smart contract, a whole new application, and then ask all of the liquidity providers to move their liquidity if they want to over to the new version. So that new version is kind of being rumored about what people don't understand a lot of times is there's a company, Uniswap, the company, it's a corporation, just like Coinbase is a corporation that develops these versions and deploys them on the blockchain. Now, they're unique because um, they don't keep access typically to the upgrade and make changes and things like that. That's why they have to deploy these new versions. 
so Uniswap, the company, is going to be very successful as they continue to do this. Uniswap, the protocol, is going to be great for users to swap without having to trust a third party to custody their money and stuff like that. So they're kind of two unique things. Uniswap's always going to be more expensive. It's always going to be a little bit tougher to use because it's more decentralized. And like I said before, you're giving up that stuff when you just want to go easy peasy with Coinbase and just swap it and not have to worry about all the, the other stuff. But you're giving up a lot. You're giving up you're giving up uh, trustlessness 100% with Coinbase. So I think there's room for both. And you know what? Down the road, I wouldn't be shocked to see Uniswap, the company, also go public. Okay, I think there's a lot of opportunity for DeFi project, the DeFi startups to also go public in the future. So keep that in mind too. Do Uniswap, for Uniswap to go public though, I mean, they'd have to obey a lot of regulations and... Uh... Well, lot. guess what? They are. They, they, they are. They're not stupid. None of the DeFi startups are stupid. All of them are aware of the possibility of future regulations. And Uniswap, with the versions they release, could, who knows, down the road, version 5, version 6, maybe they'll have to start implementing uh, compliance of some sort in order to do that, in order to raise more capital and go public. So I wouldn't rule out any of that. Just keep in mind, there's companies behind all these things. Let, let, let me let me say something. I mean, maybe Uniswap will be bought off out by someone like Coinbase. Who knows? Absolutely yeah, could. Know. Absolutely yeah, could. Yeah. But I, I do want to say this. You know, you blew my mind right there saying that Uniswap could go. If I am living in a world where Uniswap has gone public successfully, oh, man, that is an – I'm going to be doing really <laughs> – that is just freaking awesome. You know, for all – and I've said this about, you know, Coinbase going public. There's so many people who hate Coinbase. Once they go public, the, the price is going to be a good day for all the holders, okay? But to bring it down to by the by the time we get to the point of like companies like Uniswap going public and that that's widely accepted, oh my, we're going to be living in a crypto world at that point. I mean that that more people will. Uh, it, it, it's not happening soon. I I I, I want to see that something. Like Let me that just happen. caveat before you throw it to Al again. If it went public, it doesn't mean that the protocol on the blockchain. Is part of that okay? It's the startup that spits them out. Okay, they spit them out. That's what would go public. That company that's developing all of it. Just want to throw that out there because I know I'm going to get a lot of hate afterwards if I don't clarify it. All right, uh, Al, uh, you're, you're any, do you have any thoughts on uh, CoinSwap, Uniswap, or Coinbase? Or? Uh, I mean, Co Coinbase is here to stay. I think um, they're going to have a huge uh, IPO. It's you know, they're it's going to be great for them. Um, and yeah, I think a, a lot of people who are new to Bitcoin are going to end up using them. Uh, I have my issues with the way that they conduct some of their business. Uh, the fact that they are cozying up to the government as far as um, chain analysis and de-anonymizing customers is ugly. Uh, they're clearly doing it for influence and clout with the government because the amount of money they're making off of it is microscopic compared to what they have. Um, so they're, I think they're doing it to get themselves in a good position with, with the regulators. Um, and I, I don't think that's, uh, that's something that as a hardcore maximalist, I don't support that. Um, but I think the average person, you know, it's all about the user experience. So rather than kind of raging against that, I think the answer is going to be to develop better user experience for, with exchanges that are not doing that, um, help people that are new to Bitcoin uh, go to exchanges that are not doing that. And as far as totally decentralized exchanges that may not be following some of those regulations, if they get to the point where they are as easy to use as something like Coinbase, um, you will eventually see the law follow upon that. 
Um, we, we like to think about law in terms of like we start with principles and then it kind of extrapolates out into the real world. I think when it comes to things like this, you kind of have to start with what's technologically possible and then it, it interfaces from there. So if it's impossible for them to stop you from, from using decentralized exchanges and getting away from KYC, eventually the regulations will acknowledge that. Right now, it's too easy for them to do that. You know, you didn't have concepts like freedom of press until, or freedom of speech until the printing press came along because it was just too easy to make a thousand copies or a million copies of something and get it out there. But when it was just, oh, this guy is saying this, well, if we shut down this guy, and there's no such thing as recordings and widespread books, well, if we shut down the guy, we shut down his words. Um, we're going to see stuff like that in the future with Bitcoin, where if it just becomes impossible to stop, then the law will eventually allow it. But for now, you know, we're in the environment that we're in and guys like this who comply are going to be the victors for right now. All right. Well, since I got you here, Al, we're, we're at the end of the show. Basically, tell us what you're up to, any news you want to share, any thoughts you want to uh, add to that you've already mentioned. The, the floor is yours. Sure. Um, so as as mentioned before, Dirtbag Friday always going every week. Um, it's really a great get together. Um, it's gotten large enough that um, starting to watch controlling the size of it to kind of keep that feel. But it's it's such a great crowd. Um, it's really built into a fantastic community. Um, toxic as hell, but everybody uh, everybody's very loving, no matter how much we yell at each other. Um, so you know, it's a uh, it's kind of a family of mine, and I'm I'm proud to have them. Um, other stuff, uh, Houston area Bitcoiners. If you're anywhere in the Houston area. Um, we're going to be doing a meetup on the 25th. Uh, check out meetup.com. I'll be tweeting the link a few times. Um, but if you want to come learn, uh, if you're if you're already super into Bitcoin, it's a good environment. If you have friends who are new to it and want to just talk and meet people, um, everybody's welcome. Um, that's going to be 6.15 on the 25th of, of this month. Uh, just go to meetup.com, look up Houston Bitcoin, and it'll it'll pop up. Um, I should have an article coming out pretty soon in Bitcoin Magazine. I wrote a piece uh, about reconsidering the nature of intrinsic value. Um, I hope it's something that gets a little bit of a conversation going because I, I think it's time that we we change our concept of what intrinsic value is and how it works. A little bit off brand for me, but um, but it was an idea that I've really had rattling in my head for a while. And uh, I hope when that comes out that everybody uh, has a little bit of input on it. So. Wow, that sounds awesome because you, people throw that intrinsic value term around all the time. I don't think they even know what it means. They just use the FUD on Bitcoin. There is no intrinsic value. What's the intrinsic value? You know, so I, I'll, I'll be interested in reading that. Uh, by the way, all these dudes are linked to below, including Anders, all their Twitter. So follow them on Twitter. You, no doubt, will tweet that out. When do you think it's going to come out, that article? Uh, I think probably sometime next week. I was just uh, doing some paperwork with them to, to release it. I've got it. Um, change a few editors notes on it. So I think next week, but I, as soon as I know, I'll, I'll let everybody know. I'll, awesome. I'll tweet it out. All right, Chris, you get, you get the final world word here. What was left off? Anything you wanted to say? It's, it's uh, promote anything. Okay. Oh, I just wanted to throw out there. Um, cause I know a lot of Bitcoiners watching, um, a lot of people are being introduced to the crypto space through DeFi on Ethereum. And what I want to encourage um, Bitcoiners to do is, is, and what I try to do is instead of mock them or tell them they're stupid, uh, try to educate them. Because a lot of people coming into this space don't even have the basic knowledge of 
what trustlessness is and why Bitcoin is so valuable. They just see it as like a stonk that you can throw around, right? It's very important that we as people that do understand it, educate as many of them as possible and bring them over to our side, <laughs> make them understand why trustlessness is the most important thing in crypto. And um, I see too much of like people getting polarized and sort of casting each other off to the side. I think that um, I, I understand we're proud, you know, there's pride now being toxic, but at the same time, we need to keep the open arms to, to people who are prime are ready to come over and to get engaged more with Bitcoin. Um, so that is a real breeding ground right now, maybe even more than people who are just entering Bitcoin alone is people who are coming into DeFi and coming into Ethereum cold just because they, they heard about it and it's the tech world and they want to get more involved there. If we can get 5-10% of those guys to come over to Bitcoin and, and really embrace it, embrace decentralization more, it's a huge victory. So keep an open mind and uh, don't be don't be super toxic 100% of the time. All right. I love that. I love that positive message right there. Yeah, dudes, there are people that are coming into the space that have only heard of NFTs. So you got to right. be patient. You got to be patient with these people or who came in because of Dogecoin. They don't know about scarcity. You got to be. And, and if you fail, then you if they don't accept it, it's on them. Personal responsibility is a new counterculture. You haven't failed. They have failed. All right. Hold a uh, bold T sent uh, five Canadian dollars. He says, good show. I agree, dude. It was a great show. These are the best freaking guests in the space. Guys, it's been a year since that day. Look, the world didn't end. People, life is awesome. We are living in a freaking golden age. Sure, there could be current events that are unprecedented, all right? But you don't have to play into that stuff. You control your own destiny. Um, be a unique beast, as I say. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. You know we'll be back here next Friday. We do this show every Friday. I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Subscribe to the channel. Follow those dudes on Twitter. See you guys next week. Thank you. Miami rocks, baby. All right. See you in Miami. Yeah. All right. That should end. And hang on. Let me end it on this.